Welcome to the Life of a Global Desi. A podcast that connects like-minded desis all over the globe by conforming to stereotypes and breaking them. Introducing Life of a Global Desi interviews. Yes, we bring to you our conversations with remarkable global desis who are doing some truly cool things in life. The idea is to bring fresh perspectives, add diverse voices, and expand the global desi community. On to our episode now. Our guest today is Nikolai Kinney Whitmore, who has spent her life writing, wandering, and wayfaring four feet eleven inches above ground. Her blog, Adventures of a Tiny Lady, is her twelve-year-old travel diary that is open to the world. And when she is not traveling, she is working hard to save the planet with the World Wildlife Fund (WWF), one of the biggest nature charities of the world. She has freelanced and worked with the likes of NASA, Forbes, TechCrunch, Airbnb, and even Netflix, all whilst traveling around the globe. These days, she's based out of Surrey, England, where she can be found growing her own food and working on her third book. Please welcome Nikolai Kenny Whitmore. Hi listeners, we have a very special guest with us today. Her name's Nikolai Kenny Whitmore. Is that how you pronounce it? Whitmore or Whitemore? Whitmore. You're right. <laughs> Whitmore. Thank you. So Nikolai Kenny Whitmore. Nikolai, would you like to say hi to our listeners? Hi everyone. Super glad and excited to be here. Okay. So um I met Nikolai in person uh for the first time on the Jagriti Yatra, which is this annual train journey all across India. um like 13 different places in 15 days and you're living with almost 450 super interesting people from all over the world and um that's where i met nikolai and she was there putting smiles on people's faces quite literally <laughs> with her project called time to smile and um it was super unique and cute i loved it she would throw a note at people like while they were just sitting around and when you open the note it has a cute funny note that makes you want to smile and then she captured it with her camera so there were these candid smiles by the end of the entire yatra that uh, she had a beautiful album for and that was 9 years ago <laughs> i'd almost forgotten so about that like, wow sorry yeah. <laughs> so um since then since then i've been following your life nikolai on social media mostly uh, very closely and i love reading your blog um and that's how i've been keeping tabs on her and uh, when we were thinking about who our next guest should be <laughs> nikolai the global desi one of us so thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast we are super psyched to have you i'm i'm super psyched to be here and yeah i'd forgotten about that because it's been so long since that happened that i'd forgotten i'd done silly things like that in the past <laughs> silly and beautiful fantastic so, yeah. um and i've been following your blog as well nikolai really interesting insight into your travels and your life as well so thanks for doing that and keep that up i'm going to start with a quick icebreaker question so our guests get to know you a little bit better so here goes and i know you read a lot so this question hopefully should be fun for you what's your real favorite book and what book do you pretend is your favorite to sound smart oh 
I think I'll go with the pretend one first. So I think the pretend one is maybe something like Iliad or something like that. I'd say just to sound really like well read and um, yeah, um, very intellectual. Mm-hmm. But if you ask me what my absolute favorite book is, it would have to be some very very depressing ones actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> one is uh, Veronica Decides to Die by Paolo Coelho. And the other one, both at the same level, um, the other one is Night by Eli, uh, I've forgotten his last name, but it's about the Holocaust. These are my two favorite books of all time. Thanks for sharing that. And I think we just got uh, two new book recommendations for even for our list. That's awesome. Great. So I also want to start off with just getting to know you a little bit better. Um, What started your wanderlust and what were some of your early influences growing up? Okay. Um, I think my wanderlust started when I was maybe eight years old. I've grown up in the hills in the boarding schools of uh, Panchgini in Maharashtra. And my mum and dad were uh, travelling parents who would often come and sneak me out of school and take me out on these weekend hikes and trails and uh, all these exploratory other hills and see what's around you in the uh, place that you're studying. So they'd often do this, but they'd tell the nuns or the sisters in the school that they were taking me out because there's some family emergency or something like that. (laughs) But that, yeah, that sort of developed my... um, need for exploration for the place that I'm living in and help me like go further away from um, just studying to actually discovering what's around me. So I think that was my early influences of um, travel as it started. And during my summer holidays, when I wasn't in boarding school, I would come back to Bombay and uh, stay at home most of the time because I didn't know anyone else. I wasn't in the same schools as everybody else. So I would spend my time like watching Nat Geo and all of these different travel shows on Mm. telly. And that would keep me occupied through the time um, that were my summer vacations, basically. So I used to wait to go back in the hills to explore rather than being on actual vacation like most kids would be. Well, that's so interesting. And, you know, clearly sounds like your parents had a big influence in, in them being adventurous and how that you know, translated into your wanderlust as well. So thanks for sharing that. Yeah, and it's so relatable as uh, Ami Bratz. I feel like even we kind of got to travel and it really stays like early influences really uh, shape you so deeply. Um, And that's beautiful. But what got you to England? Like, I have an inkling as to what the story might be, but I want to hear you. Share. Okay, so, so uh, what got me to England? Wow, and it, it must be a boy, definitely. <laughs> How romantic! I love but that. No. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, we're suckers for romance here, so I can't wait yeah, to hear definitely. the story. <laughs> um, so yeah, just before I was about to go on one of my contracts in the Middle East, where I was supposed to work with like some global travel startups that were just emerging. Um, I met somebody in Bombay uh, through a common friend. So this common friend just told me that we were meeting for uh, coffee and cake, as we do usually, and didn't tell me that he was not going to turn up at all and send someone else instead. So he (laughs) brought along another friend and, and then decided not to turn up. And then 
I met this fella a few times after we had coffee and cake and I was showing him like Bombay as I know it, my cultures, the people, the food you must try and showing him everything that I love about the city basically. And um, he then went back to in England after his holiday and we stayed in touch. And over time, while we were writing to each other and keeping in touch, we realized, okay, this is much more than what we think it is. Like, there's definitely like a connection here. Um, we're both making an effort to talk to each other that often. And we made a pact. The pact was, um, no matter where we are in the world, every three months we will meet in a new place and uh, we'll go explore those countries like we normally would do as we did Bombay. And we did that. So over three years, every three months, we met in a new place and we explored it together and uh, discovered it together and felt everything about the place together. And over time realized that um, this, is, this is what we want to do for the rest of our lives, just discover and experience things together. So yeah, honestly, I think I moved to England because he lives here. Um, and that's how it started. But that's, that's what got me to England before I was jet-setting across the globe. That you can hear Aarti so gushing. <laughs> like, I'm just... <laughs> I know. And I've seen your wedding pictures. They're just so cute, Nikolai. Um, they looked like... It looked like it was a lovely day, so... Um... How amazing, yeah. And and I love that you chronicle your life so beautifully on your blog as well and give us an insight into your life. Um, uh, the, I, I also like how you bring so much of India into your posts as well in some ways, even when you travel. I particularly remember your post about what you miss the most about India while you're living there in England. Uh, what are some things that you absolutely love about living in UK ever since you moved there and uh, what annoys you about it if there yeah, is there, there are a few <laughs> um, but let's start with the things I like so I really love uh, where I live currently because it's very green um, I live right by the canal so there's always a sound of flowing water um, there are beautiful cycle tracks that I can explore on I still haven't finished all of them three years living here um, yeah, I just love that I am so close to nature that I can open my front door and see a fox at times and it's not alarming to people around um, me. In India, wow. that would be like a freak scenario. People will just panic, but here it's just normalcy. So I do love being that close to nature and I do like that England has a lot of natural places. Um, the things that do annoy me about England is uh, the rain. It just shows up with no announcement. It can be like bright sunny weather and you can have your barbecue on and be just like hanging out in your garden and then it'll uh, absolutely piss it down <laughs> and you're like, oh, this is done. And then it'll be bright and sunny again. So yeah, the rain is very unpredictable. Um, and anything that... in annoys me more than the rain would be how um, how easygoing the people are with with the rain situation so they've just decided that this is part and parcel of life so there's absolutely no uh, drama or you know uh, tantrums thrown when there's rain they'll just like shrug it off and that pisses me off even more like it should upset <laughs> you it's like ruined your day but no they're just they've just learned to deal with it and that annoys me even more 
That's interesting. It sounds like you want to actually talk about how annoying the rain is and everyone else is like, hey, chill out. This is part of life. And, you know, always carrying a big black umbrella. So that's that's fantastic. They love talking yeah. about the rain. They love talking about the weather, okay. but just not in a way that you would think that they would. They don't complain about it. They just talk about it in normal tones. But if you're Indian and you're living here, you'll complain about it. That's the difference. <laughs> That's fair. No, that sounds um, pretty familiar with, you know, uh, living in cold places anywhere and definitely in the US as well, where, where it snows a lot up north. People do complain yeah. a lot. But um, England and the, and the rain. Yeah, for sure. We Indians, we need our sun. tropical sun. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, you shared a little bit about your growing up years and how travel was a big part of it. You know, obviously that happened because of your parents and how they love travel. How did you make it happen for yourself as an adult? So why do you travel as an adult and how did you stumble upon just this travel lifestyle? Um, I think it happened very uh, weirdly for me. So I thought that um, if I study tourism and I did everything to do with tourism, it would once get me, uh, at some point, get me a lifestyle where I would be traveling. But that wasn't true because then I slowly dipped my feet into like sitting behind a desk and planning like flight routes and um, I don't know, flight prizes for Emirates as an airlines. And three months into that job, one day it just snapped in my head and I was like, I do not want to be sitting behind this desk doing this. I want to be out there doing this in the real world, like traveling. Someone else should be like helping me book these tickets. I don't want to be booking them. So that happened. And um, the universe has weird ways of opening things up to you, I believe. So I think I was already in that frame of mind that I want to do more, like I want to be out there traveling. And I came across um, this then startup, which is quite a a running company now. I don't think you can call them a startup if it's been over 10 years. (laughs) So I think they're doing very well. Yeah. So I then came across this uh, startup called Grassroots. And uh, what they did was they gave people in Bombay um, the chance to experience or live their lives on the weekend as a farmer or a tribal person would, like indigenous people would. And this seemed very appealing to me, like because they were working with the local communities in these places and Mm -hmm. encouraging tourism as a means of uh, employment for people that were farmers and tribals. So I looked it up and I went on my first trip with them. And uh, because I was out of curiosity, just wanted to see what it felt like to be with a tribal family in the middle of the Western Ghats of Maharashtra. So, yeah, so I went on my first trip with them and um, the CEO of the company, the founder, was on that trip with us. And I remember how that trip went and around the bonfire when everyone was chilling out, I just turned to him and asked, can I do this like full time? Can I just write for you? Can I just like stay here and I'll do this every weekend. I'll accompany the guests to these villages and I'll write. I'll write for your website. I'll write for your socials. I'll write in any way you want me to so that you get more people to come basically. And he said, yeah, why not? And I went from like earning like a massive amount of salary to maybe not even one fourth of that salary but it was the Mm. best decision I had made for my life because from there on there was absolutely no stopping 
the way that I was writing and experiencing places, people, and telling other people about it. So that's that's how I stumbled upon it, and that's how it started for me. That's beautiful. And I see that it started off with, you know, writing for Crossroads. And how did that transition into writing for yourself or write, starting your blog, um, Adventures of a Tiny Lady? I think I'd started the blog much before that, but it was only around ah. holidays that I was taking. It was not around travels that I was actively seeking out. So when I started with Grassroots and I realized that apart from the weekends that I was working with them, I was also traveling rest of the week because I liked traveling. So then that blog became something where I would write more often. I started surrounding myself with people also that liked traveling. So I would just hitch a ride with somebody on their motorbike, go somewhere and experience camping on a beach or start meeting new people that did these travels on a regular basis and make mm. a calendar out of it, basically. I remember the newspaper once did an article on me and they called it The Girl Who Travels Every wow. Seven Days. <laughs> and and I was like, I, I didn't expect that. But then I realized, okay, this writing must be doing something if it's getting this kind of uh, coverage. And if young people are reading it, even better, I'll keep writing. So I think the travel blogs first started off as let me document my uh, holidays to then becoming, no, I do really want to just write about everything that I'm feeling in these places. That's lovely. And what converted that into becoming a travel, travel writer? Um, and I understand you also write like uh, full time. Yes. Um, yeah, I think uh, over time, uh, the stories that got a little more refined when I felt like I was able to write very propelling stories that was sending people to these places, I started exploring, should I be sending these uh, like as a pitch to uh, newspapers or magazines? And I started exploring that. Sometimes uh, my work, because I was freelancing and consulting after grassroots, was already taking me to very remote uh, places in India that many people wouldn't have heard of or experiences that nobody else would have heard of. And um, yeah, I think some of the journalists or um, yeah editors had already heard of it and would reach out and say, can you tell us the story or can we book this story for our magazine? So I found that it was sort of coming together in a way that I had, hadn't planned it. Um, but very beautifully and um, I think it was because I was consistent in writing my blog that it brought the right kind of attention over the years to me but um, yeah that 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 would be basically how I got into like full-time travel writing and then um, decided to quit uh, grassroots from my weekend um, weekend <laughs> uh, escapades with them and then do this on a more daily basis so then I worked with uh, Celebrate India and that allowed me to travel like the length and breadth of India and so many remote places and just write for their website. In that time, websites were just being set up. People were just starting to use it as a means to read other than newspapers. So then slowly my, my writing became online only and, and it stayed that way. What would your top three favorite destinations be where you travel to 
And what are some stories that accompany those? Like, why are they your favorite uh, destinations that you've traveled to? Uh, it, it's like picking from I don't know what, but I'll try. <laughs> uh, there are lots of very beautiful places that I've traveled to, but I find that um, I might have the top three because there are very specific things that have happened there that have stayed with me for life. Um, so my top most will be Brazil. Um, in Brazil, I think I learned a sort of independence that I don't think I ever had before I went to Brazil. Um, right from like uh, staying in hostels by myself to um, hiring bicycles as my means of transport and doing all the self-discovery mm-hmm. by myself. Th- how old were you at this Ooh. point? Sorry <laughs> I think it, I may have been in my early 20s, so 21 or 22 mm-hmm. when I did this. Yeah, it, it was beautiful for me. Yeah. Um, so I, and it was also my first uh, solo trip outside of India. So just to be able to feel that level of independence in your 20s is beautiful. So Brazil is top there. Um, I think the other two would be um, Bruges in Belgium. Um, Bruges, honestly, I just wanted to go because my favorite yeah. film is <laughs> in Bruges. I've heard so much about that. In Bruges. <laughs> Which one? In Bruges. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, it's, it's called In Bruges. Oh, I thought yeah. <laughs> I saw yeah. it. Favorite film is In Bruges. Yeah. Okay. It's not I the guess. best films. You, if you watch it, you'll understand. It's like a murder mystery to, yeah. kind of thing. Um, but it, oh, okay. it's shot in Bruges. And I went to Bruges at a very weird time in my life when I just lost somebody and I was dealing with a lot of um, uh, depression and just anxiety from like losing somebody that I was really mm-hmm. close to who had passed away. And my uh, tickets were non-cancellable or refundable. So I decided Mm. to stick to it and go on this um, holiday in Bruges. And the entire time I was in Bruges, I honestly only spent in the hotel room and walking out to get food and come back to the hotel room. And this was very weird for me. But in that time, just walking out of my hotel room and in the streets, eating food with people and coming back, I learned so much about Bruges. Just those walks were enough to like take away all my blues. And I think that's why I love Bruges. Like there wasn't much I was asking from that city, but it was open to accommodate somebody that is in that stage of mind and still be very accepting of it. And that's why I love Bruges. And I think I'll go back when I'm in a much happier mood (laughs) and when it's summer maybe. (laughs) But yeah, um, something to look forward to. And I think the last place would be Goa for me. So Goa in India, because my grandmum is Portuguese and that's where I feel my family traditions. Um, I crave the food from there. I long the laziness and they call it like the Susegad lifestyle, which means like doing nothing at all. And, and I absolutely love that. Yeah, <laughs> love that about Goa. So I think Goa, uh, Bruges, and yeah. I didn't know about your Portuguese roots. That's so cool. Um, and now, falas Portuguese? <laughs> I don't know it. No. I don't know it, to no. be honest. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, that backfired. I'm, I'm yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, that backfired. No. I thought we could like keep a conversation going here, but no. No. <laughs> I should stop trying to show off. So, sis. <laughs> yeah, I, I love those, uh, I mean, three destinations. Although, of course, I've only been to Goa out of all three. But um, I felt like I did a mini travel when you were describing all of this. So thanks yeah. so much for sharing that. 
Um, so tell us, Nikolai, about, uh, you know, your current work with WWF and what led you to this juncture. It's so exciting when someone says, I work for the, you know, for the World, Wide, World Wildlife Fund. And I'm like, how do you do that? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, it is. Um, it, it, I often get that when I say WWF, but at immigration, sometimes they'll ask, WWF, are you a wrestler? And I'm like, no, no, not, not those people, the panda yeah. people. Um, That's lovely. Yeah. I think those those, those people are WWE now, right? Yeah. Worldwide yeah. Entertainment. Yeah, yeah copyright good. issues. But I hear you, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so definitely. Um, I think with my history in travel and communications, at some point in my life, when I moved to England, I found myself asking a question like, what next? What is it that you want to do beyond this? And for years, I've been like documenting how beautiful these places are and how gorgeous these natural places are. But over years, I'd also noticed that there was lots of uh, degradation and pollution in these places because of too many people going there or whatever reason, tourism picking up. And then I, I decided that I wanted to change that. Like, I want to keep these places beautiful and I wanted to see nature thrive in these places. And I, I looked up and I seen the WWF. Actually, most people think it's just wildlife, but it's not. Mm -hmm. They actually do all kinds of nature conservation. So I looked up and I realized, okay, this is, this is where I'd love to work. Um, also slightly because the commute was five minutes from where I live. <laughs> but uh, yeah, not the biggest reason, but yeah, somewhere there. Just doesn't hurt. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm saving carbon. That's my, <laughs> that's my way of looking at it. Yeah. Um, it. So yeah, uh, I looked up WWF and I said, okay, their values are very much in sync with what I want for natural places in the world. And I waited um, two years for the right job to come up there to apply to it. And the uh, bottom line of my job is basically to get uh, one billion people around the world to care about nature. That's it. That's just the bottom line of my job. And I have to create campaigns, social media campaigns, web campaigns, and even um, a communication regarding these things and work with the right people that might get these messaging out there so I jumped on the opportunity and um, I knew when they called me in for an interview and met with me they gave me like a uh, they have like these trials right like you have to do a presentation and we'll see what hmm. we think about you and stuff so my first round was basically just about how would you communicate to people about the uh, importance of nature and why places need to stay natural and beautiful I knew after I had presented that that I had it in the bag because it was something that I was pitching that I was so confident about and so, um, uh, I don't know, I felt so inclined about. So it was very easy. It came naturally for me. And I, I was really glad that that opportunity came along when it did. So that's how WWF happened, basically. That's fantastic. And what a powerful mission, right? Uh, get one billion people to understand the importance and care, care about nature. And from how you're describing it and how you're sharing it with us, it surely seems like you found that Japanese ikigai, which, which really is, you know, that Venn diagram or culmination of what you love, what you get paid for, what 
what value it adds to the world right um so that's really fantastic and and uh, thanks for sharing that i'm curious what parts of the job you know do you enjoy the most and which parts are not so much fun right because at the end of the day this this is still a job so i'd be curious to hear that all right so what parts i really like are um i get to design some very fun campaigns that have important messaging so something like what we did recently was earth hour it's a moment in time where the entire globe switches off their lights in solidarity for climate change and nature loss for one hour just one hour in your entire life yep. and it's beautiful how that can come together on a global scale so uh, designing fun campaigns like this i'm all about it um i get to work with some youth communities that i absolutely love because i think the youth are the way of the nation for every nation not just ours but every nation really and some people are doing such fascinating work right now with climate change um plastic pollution nature loss and it really moves me to see the amount of uh, freedom they have now and opportunities that they have now like um just thinking about like these friday for future strikes and extinction rebellion we never had that in our time i think hmm. now the lens is on the youth of the country and i absolutely love working with these communities to get that messaging out there so that i love that part of my job um i work with a set of influencers under wwf voices which gives me like a global understanding of different issues people are working towards and the small individual actions they are taking and then it's my job to take that out to the world so i absolutely love hearing about these different projects that they're doing as well and the last thing that i really like and this is the most important is um i help analyze what the levels of conversation are online on things like climate change and nature laws and other things and then we take these numbers and present it to governments to change actual policies to show them that people in their country are interested in topics like that or want or youth in your country want to do something about a specific issue and this is something that i absolutely love about my job that i'm able to take that data and present it to a level where decisions are made so yeah those are the things i love that's so impactful i feel like um you know it it's so results oriented so action driven and a lot of us talk about oh things need to change we need to be more um you know um sustainable we need to do this but i feel like your work really propels people to do that and put that message out there right so that's that's awesome and what what parts are not so much fun are there any or not really <laughs> i think just one i think uh, when people get um when people don't understand the messaging or the complexity of mm. these issues i think that frustrates me like um something like the amazon burning it's mm. it's just so like it has close to heart for me like to understand what our teams are doing there and what what's going on there but somewhere along in the world people are wondering okay why is the amazon getting so much media coverage on a a uh, first world country's newspaper because they're not able to understand that actually the air and the carbon uh, is neutralized around the world because places yeah. like the amazon exist so i think when we get a little backlash on campaigns like these and when people don't get 
the reasoning behind it. Um, it sort of frust frustrates me, but it also encourages me to do my job better in order to make these things easy to understand. Yeah, that's beautiful. I actually had goosebumps like when you were sharing about your job and the incredible work that you do. That's that's so impactful and powerful, like Sis said. How has your traveling life influenced uh, the work that you do at WWF? Like, is it, does it come in the way? How, how do you find a balance between the two? Um, so these days I travel when I have my holidays or over the weekends. And like I said, England is so green that I do not have to go very far to find some greenery. Like within an hour, I could be deep inside mm -hmm. a forest somewhere. So I find that balance and I find that that also uh, resets my uh, nerves and stress levels at work and brings me back more refreshed. So spending time in nature basically does it, does it for me regardless of how far I've traveled. I've also learned to appreciate more local travel rather than just jet-setting off internationally nowadays. So I think our holidays are more um, timed or maybe once or twice a year, and I'll discover more around me and within the country most of the time by taking public transport. So I'm getting a little more uh, conscious on how many carbon footprints I create as well. So I've found a balance that works. There's so much to discover in England yet, and there's still so much to write about India that has has not been written yet. So I'm finding that balance. That's, that's great, that's lovely. Um, you talked a little bit about like not jet setting globally and traveling locally more. Um, I was curious since we have an expert on hand, uh, what are some ways in which we all can uh, travel more sustainably and be more responsible as travelers? Sure. Um, I think you can make very small individual actions and they all add up because if everyone does a little bit, then in the long run, it does add up to be quite a big uh, impact. Um, as an individual, I think slower travel helps decrease that carbon footprint. So if you're doing that Euro trip around Europe, instead of flying from place to place, try and do like try and move with other means of transport like a train or something else or cycle even between cities. Some countries are so close by it's it's almost ridiculous. So, yeah, look for other opportunities to slow your travel and travel in a way that's mindful of the environment um, when you're in the place. Uh, try and buy local, try and encourage the economies that are in that country. So if you were to eat at a restaurant, eat at a restaurant that makes the local cuisine, uses local ingredients and uses everything that's available within the country. So don't go to Alaska and ask for like avocados on toast because avocados would have to come there. So it's just that sort of thinking basically. So sourcing more local produce and sourcing locally can help quite a bit with the economy. Um, learning traditions will help as well, not so much in a way where um, maybe economy helps, but you're helping keeping some very long lost cultures alive still. So learning other people's traditions also help you appreciate that country a little bit more when you're there. So these are swaps that you can make. So basically, instead of like heading out, say, for uh, a pub crawl or a pub hopping experience, 
take an experience with say like a grandma in Sicily where she's teaching you to make sourdough bread from scratch or pasta from scratch. So things like that are very small but they make a very big difference in terms of like responsible travel and sustainable travel. And I think lastly without saying it goes that you have to respect like the environment that you're in. Um, don't leave any kind of footprints behind in green places that you go to and try and keep your footprints at a minimal. So if you're visiting, take your bottles with you. Don't leave back plastic. Be appreciative of, like if you're at the beach, be appreciative of it. Take whatever garbage you have back with you, dispose it off properly. Keep these places beautiful. Don't just trash it because it's not your country, but it be respectful of where you are basically. That is so helpful and so like timely, right? It's it's almost like we need, this is the time to be, you know, like act, act on it. We all know this, but in, but I feel like some of the, some of the times it's not even, um, it, the awareness isn't even there, right? People feel like they are uh, entitled to go to a new country, feel like they've had the adventure and, you know, really enjoyed it um, and not really be mindful of these things. So it's it's really important that you share that and, and how each one of us can be more mindful about that. Um, thank you. And we're, we're um, curious to hear about what is keeping you curious these days? What are you curious about right now? And what are your hopes for the future? Um, so like I said, um, these small actions that you take on a day-to-day -day basis um, help make a bigger impact. And I think for me, curiosity right now is about different ways that I can make that impact. So right from changing small things in my life, like um, what dental floss I'm using, is it coming out of a plastic dispenser? Or is it something that I can buy on a refill? Something as small as that. So for me right now, I'm very curious about zero waste in my lifestyle and zero plastic. I, I would like to see how many products like I can get rid of off my shelves only because it, it means that we're producing more plastic. So I'm looking into those simple swaps in my life that I can do that have me less reliant on uh, waste and plastic, basically. That's fantastic. And along with that, what are some hopes for the future? Um, hopes for the future. Um, right now, it's looking very bleak, isn't it? Because we have to get past this... Um, <laughs> COVID-19 so I think future for us right now is just getting past this and back to normalcy as such so yeah um, I think the biggest hope for the future is that once the bans are lifted and once we're able to move more freely we just need to be a little conscious about um, how we're doing it and that we're not bumping up our carbon within months of it lifting so right now it seems like we made a lot of uh, headwind in actually having low carbon emissions and I'm hoping that as soon as the ban lifts that that doesn't change. I, I hope people will slow down their lives and rethink about where they need to be and how they're moving about. Absolutely. Um, I really hope everything that you hope for the future happens because um, you know there really isn't any other way out. And finally, what advice would you give to someone wanting to travel right and be a travel blogger? Go for it. There's no stopping you. There isn't a reason why anybody shouldn't do it. Um, uh, most people will start off with looking at it as their means of earning money. And I would say that's wrong. 
first find your passion for it and uh, do it because you love doing it rather than um, doing it because you want to make a living out of it. And then once you have that passion in check, it will it will show in your writing and it will show within the way you express yourself. Um, when you're expressing yourself, be very bold, be very human and be very clear because this is what's needed right now in this time. I think that's very well said. Thanks so much. And um, we also wanted to finally ask you, what does the term global desi mean to you and how and why do you identify as a global desi if at all i'm actually struggling with this question because for <laughs> all my life i feel like most people have called me like the fake indian because i don't fit the stereotypical <laughs> indian vibe or something like it um but yeah if you had to ask me i think it would be um a global desi is somebody that's breaking free from just the geographical ties that is india but deep within us india lives in many ways like it rules every decision we take everything we do everything we express or um feel out in the world and i think you're always a little bit indian in everything you do just because you're not in the country doesn't mean you aren't and um yeah that's that's basically it for me i think um it's it's people from india who have left india but have a global experience or perspe- perspective of how humans live everywhere but are still appreciative of very traditional ways of living um i think be a global desi is also somebody that is able to understand how economies are better now um uh, coming from uh, like a country that is considered at one point a third world country I think we've come like way ahead um from where we were and i think we're more appreciative of cultures and how far india has come um yeah i'm struggling with this one i i don't know how to explain it but <laughs> yeah no i i totally resonated with that um and add add a plus one to that yeah totally Yeah, we've heard really interesting responses to that question and I think um you know yours makes a lot of sense as well and uh really agree with that. And uh Nikolai, before we let you go, can you tell us a little bit about the book that you're working on from, you know, writing for blogs to now writing for books? What can uh what can you tell us about that and where can people find you on social media? Sure. Um so I think Uh, my blog when I re- had written it was my way of writing so that my friends knew what I was up to and so that my mother knew what I was up to basically <laughs> um that that was the target audience then and then with uh, WWF I think I communicate to a, a youth audience or a millennial audience as you say and I've thought to myself now what next I always keep asking myself that after every 3 or 4 years and I think that my new target audience is kids So um I'm actually writing a story book um um for kids and it's being illustrated by a very very good illustrator a very talented illustrator called Annette Newman and the book mm. is a st- um it's like a series of uh, conservation stories where very complicated topics like climate change and uh palm oil destruction and things like that are going to be explained in the most simplest way possible so that a 5 or 6 year old would be able to understand it and not realize what they are learning so yeah um the books for kids 
and um, it will I'm hoping that the writing will be able to create a generation of humans that will be more problem solvers and innovators rather than just listening about all these issues happening around the world these will be the people that will be the fixers so yeah that's the next project and I'm happy to start on it and yeah I'm looking forward to release end of this year fantastic that's so exciting and you're absolutely right about involving the younger generation and in fact you know kids as young as um, you know toddlers and because that's the generation that's really going to um you know either reap the benefits of all the work that we put in right now or and continue to sustain it that's fantastic and where can people find you on social media on all the usual places <laughs> so facebook twitter and instagram <laughs> all of them i'm at nikolai kinney and yeah i usually write about my travels and um on my instagram stories i'll be talking about usually these day to day swaps that i'm making in my life or things that i'm trying out to help better the planet fantastic super excited about digging into all of those and i really hope that gave listeners an insight into just the different lives that we all lead and the journeys that take us from one place to another all over the world um but also you know very purpose driven lives so thanks for sharing sharing that about yourself yeah thank We're you so so happy to have yeah, you and absolutely. this was a fantastic conversation yeah, likewise well. thank you very much yeah i got to learn a lot thank you thank you so much nikolai um with that to our listeners uh stay curious keep listening and peace out hey daisies if you enjoyed this episode then please rate review and subscribe to us on apple podcasts spotify or wherever else you're listening to podcasts and drop us a note on lifeofaglobaldesi@gmail.com or our social media to keep up this awesome dialogue Oh and don't forget to give us a 5 star rating. You're so cheap. Why are you asking them for 5 <laughs> star ratings? Well, I always ask for the rating I want, not the one I have. You know like dress for the job you want, not the one you have. That's like the stupidest thing I've heard all day. Arthi is so judgmental. Well, you need to stop being listen, judgmental. <laughs> I just think you can't be so demanding. That's all. You ask for what you want. Bah. <laughs>